Pilate confronts Jesus in today's gospel. It's a lesson that's familiar. We hear it uh, in one version or another at, uh, on Good Friday uh, during Holy Week. And we hear it today because uh, Jesus, uh, Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus and asks him if he's king. We call today Christ the King Sunday as it signals the end of the Christian year and in a metaphorical way, the culmination of all that has gone before. Pilate is completely confused by Jesus and so puts him in a category that Pilate can understand, king. King, if Jesus is a king, then, then Pilate knows what to do because, because that makes him a revolutionary. That makes him a, an insurrectionist. He's, he's the political opposition and in those days and in many other days, no one put up with opposition. So Pilate knew what to do because he had Jesus in the right box. I do wanna just say, I cannot resist a quick word about the use of the term Jews in this lesson. In fact, throughout John's gospel. Uh, it is not central to what I wanna to say to you, but I can't not point out the fact that in the Gospel of Mark, which is the earliest, scholars believe, of the, of the four Gospels, those who confront Jesus are, are called temple authorities or scribes and sometimes chief priests. John, which is the last of the four Gospels written, uh, and written at a time when um, Rome was uh, guilty of persecuting uh, Christians more than once and in more than one place, by the time John was written, there was a felt need to curry favor with Rome. And so in John's community, the Jews became a scapegoat for what the Romans had done. And that, in a sense, kind of betrayal has bedeviled us ever since hasn't it? Well, as I say, that's a, that's a side point, but I can't resist it. Uh, earlier this week, I had a call from a, 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 the rector of a church in Virginia who asked me to lead a vestry retreat uh, for him, and he said the issue was his vestry wanted to talk about church growth. Now, the minute someone tells me they want to talk about church growth, I, I recoil because I know they're asking the wrong question. The, the, um, uh, if, you're, if you care about these things, and you probably don't, go, when you go home, Google church growth, you'll get a, a thousand books, uh, nine steps to a bigger church, uh, 22 can't miss strategies, 44 best ways to grow your church, all of that stuff. And, I, and, and so that, for me, puts the cart ahead of the horse. The, the great, uh, the other St. Peter, that is to say St. Peter Drucker, who was a, uh, a great management uh, consultant in the uh, mid 20th century, in his massive book called The Practice of Management said, organizations that strive for profitability are not likely to succeed because their real goal is to serve their constituency. And profitability is a measure by which they, that, that says how well they've served their constituency. 
It's not that profitability is irrelevant because it's necessary for sustainability, but the real goal is serving your customer, your constituency. So a corollary in the work of the church might go like this, that church growth is not the objective. Not the objective. The objective is to nourish the spiritual lives and shape the moral imagination of the people in your community. And growth, membership, is a measure of one's success, the church's success at that. Size does matter for sustainability. But what really matters is how well the church nourishes the spiritual lives of its people and shapes their moral imagination. There's a tendency in the circles in which I travel to point to the megachurches around as examples of how great it can really be. And, I'm, and some of them have an awful lot to offer. Uh, Saddleback uh, Church um, uh, in uh, California, the, the uh, purpose-driven church, uh, uh, is a church whose dogma, whose tenets we, we would not always agree with, but which does have a kind of driving purpose. Um, uh, and, and, and so that is, a, is an example of how one how a, how a church can, in fact, serve the needs of its particular uh, community. Last week, when uh, Bishop uh, Buddy was here, she mentioned the Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City in the, in the uh, adult forum. It's a, a mainline um, Methodist church. Uh, its set of tenants are not foreign to us in any way, shape, or form. It's right down the middle. We would disagree with one or two things that they, uh, uh, that they would profess, uh, uh, and they're working on those. They'll eventually catch up with us on those, uh, on those matters. They uh, claim to have an attendance, average Sunday attendance of 11,000, and uh, membership in the 20,000, 25,000. And it's probably more or less accurate. Um, uh, most of the main line, most of the mega churches are not in within the mainline traditions. Most of them are independent churches, as you probably know, and most of them are in the South and in the Midwest. And if there's a common denominator for them, it is they serve the needs of the, of those communities in the sense that they create communities for their members, where community can be sometimes elusive, hard to come by. But this Methodist church is a little different and really does have something uh, maybe that we should be interested in. The, here is, a, um, here is a, uh, a sentence uh, from their purpose statement. We strive, they say, we strive for personal holiness by inviting people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ and we pursue societal holiness in the public sphere by addressing key issues of our time so that our world will look more like the kingdom of God. Now that's a mouthful and I'll come back to it. But in a, in a nutshell, it says, we invite people into a life transforming relationship with Christ 
And as their lives are transformed, we seek to transform the world around us into something that looks more like the kingdom of God. When I consult with uh, vestries seeking to grow or for almost any other reason, I ask them this question. How would the world be different if your church weren't there? What's your core purpose? And I'm sorry to say an awful lot of Episcopal churches can't answer that question. How would they be different? Well, my friends would have to be in some other church. Uh, how would we be different? Well, uh, uh, we, we'd, we'd have to find another Sunday school. That's not a, that's, that's, that doesn't drive anybody anywhere. That doesn't lead anybody to anything that serves no particular, no particular purpose that I can see. This church, though Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City says our purpose is to change the world to change the world into something that resembles the kingdom of God, the way of life that Jesus teaches and professes. A way of life in which every single individual is respected. A way of life in which justice, equal treatment prevails. So how about us? How about St. John's? What would be different if we weren't here? How would the world change? I'm not, I, I'm not all that convinced that size is, is that important, but purpose is very important. You gotta have a reason for being the church. We're not here to entertain ourselves. On the uh, first three Sundays of Advent, the uh, Adult Forum Speaker Series is going to focus on the question of ethics in the public, uh, in the public square. We have speakers from um, Christian, Jewish, and secular traditions to address that question. What influence can and should we, do we have on the moral fiber of the world around us. We live in a very special part of the world, if you think about it. We live in a very particular place, this church. Maybe we have a very particular calling. Maybe that's true not just of us, but all of the downtown Washington congregations. I'm not talking, let me be clear, I'm not talking about any sort of political affiliation. I'm not talking about ad hominem characterizations of anyone. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and what Christ teaches and how that can and must shape the world in which we live. Jesus confronted Pilate, the most powerful man in his neighborhood, and said, my kingdom isn't of this world. 
a statement which is often misunderstood, I must say. I believe often that some people read that statement out of this world and say, well, it must be ethereal, heavenly. It must be about something out there, up there, over there somewhere. I don't think that's it at all. Got nothing to do with that. Jesus wasn't interested in the kind of value system that Pilate represented. Jesus was interested in the kind of value system that he understood God wanted the world to embrace. And he called it God's kingdom. Not just, uh, not otherworldly at all, but a completely different set of values, a completely different moral framework. Today is the last Sunday of the Christian year. It's uh, intended to sort of be a wrap-up, a culmination of the year that's uh, gone before. We call it Christ the King Sunday because it is our wish that God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this, the importance of that is that it's up to us. It's up to us. It's a high calling to be responsible for the moral fiber of your community. So I hope we can, St. John's Lafayette Square, commit itself to pursue holiness, godliness, in our lives and through that in our community, in the public square. We have to stand for something where there's no reason for us to be here. Amen.